Praise God. Let's turn in our Bibles over to uh, Philippians chapter 4. And I'm just going to start here. I'm going to be all over. But in Philippians chapter 4, I wanna, I'm going to talk. I've got four sessions and at least three of them. I'm going to be talking about praise and thanksgiving and how important it is to our life. And you know, when I start talking about this, a lot of people don't like this because most people think that this isn't something that you do. It's not anything you have control over. They think that I'd be happy and I'd be thankful and I'd be praising God if everything was good. I'm going to try and show you that that is not the way that it is at all. This is a decision that you have to make. And this is really, really important, much more so, I think, than what most people uh, realize. I'm going to be talking about how praise affects us tonight, but then I'm going to be talking about how praise affects the devil. There's a lot of people that don't understand that. And then I'm going to be talking about how praise affects God. And I'd say very few people understand that. This is really a little known truth and how powerful it is. I personally believe that you can take your spiritual pulse pretty much by just saying, how thankful are you? How thankful are you? And it's like, you know, if you, I remember uh, Jamie, she fell this last October and hit her chest. She fell on top of a, um, her camera. And I don't know exactly what happened, but I think I got a doctor who told me that she had cardiac arrest and her heart stopped and, and she just slumped over. And um, so I prayed, man, God brought her back. Thank you, Jesus. It was awesome. But uh, anyway, the, some people there called the paramedics and one of the first things paramedics did was check her pulse to see how she was. And it was just barely beating. It was down below uh, 40 beats a minute and it took a while for her pulse to come back. But you know, you can take your pulse and tell a lot about you. That's the very first thing that they did. By the way, she's fine now in case some of you are wondering. Within two or three minutes, she was okay, but looked bad there for a while. But anyway, they check your pulse to see how you are. And you know what? I believe that praise, if you were to do an inventory and just check and see where you are and how much you are truly praising God, that is an indication about a lot of things. You can tell a lot about a person, about what their praise is like. How thankful are you? That's a true statement. And some of you right now are just hoping that I don't uh, know you personally because uh, if what I'm saying is true, you might look pretty anemic. Did you know the average person really, they just let things get to them. And sometimes it could be politics. It could be the fact that you're looking for a change. You're believing for this. We had so many people call us after Obama was reelected because they were bummed out. <laughs> and you know, I'm not here to make a political statement, but I'm just saying that even though you might desire this or that, that should not affect your praise. It shouldn't affect your attitude. And if it did, it's a tremendous indication about where you are spiritually. Amen. Some of you think, but you, you immediately start saying, but you don't understand. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. But you don't understand. Amen. You are looking in the natural realm and you're focused on just physical things instead of spiritual things. I tell you, our joy and our peace should not be dictated by anything that is going on in this natural realm. 
And you know, there's a lot of people that when you're in church, they'll say, amen, brother. But then when you're outside of church, you just let anything and everything bother you and we don't feel any responsibility over it. Here in Philippians chapter 4, look at what Paul said. In, uh, I'm going to break right into the middle of some of this. But in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, I think the reason he said, And again, I say rejoice, is because even in Paul's day, this was con- counter to the way most people were. Most people do not rejoice always. Matter of fact, most people think that something's wrong with you if you rejoice all of the time. You know, I was just talking to a man yesterday that had some terrible things happen to him. And I, I was visiting with him to see how he's doing. And he says, you know what? I wouldn't trade what's happened for anything. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And he says, people don't understand what I'm saying. I said, I understand. I've also got a good friend who uh, his wife used to work for me and they live out where I live. And I've known them for many, many years. And his wife died about... I think it's been 18 months ago or something like that. And I've gone by to see him a few times just to check on him and see how he's doing. And he told me, he said, Andrew, he says, people think I'm crazy. People think that I didn't love my wife. But he says, it got so bad when she died that I was either going to have to dig a hole and climb in next to her and just die or I had to go on with my life. And he says, man, I just poured my heart out and turned to the Lord. And he said, I have experienced God in a way that I didn't even know it was possible. He says, the Lord has touched my life. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. He says, this is the greatest time of my life. And he says, it's a shame that my wife had to die before I got serious about God. But he said, this is the greatest time in my life. And did you know that the average Christian would reject that and actually criticize that and say, you aren't going through the grieving process. You're in denial. You're suppressing things. You're keeping it within. It's going to explode. And most Christians have been so influenced by psychology that they would literally criticize a person through something like that. Some of you have heard me give this example before, but I spoke at this business and there was a woman there who had tried to kill herself and uh, she had tried to commit suicide the day before. And when I was there and spoke at this business, I went into a back room and I invited people back. The boss said he's paying them and if you want to go back and talk to Andrew, you can take as much time as you want. So anyway, I led about, I don't know, 10 of their staff to the Lord. It was great. But this one woman came back who had tried to commit suicide the day before She'd been married. I think this was her fourth marriage. Her husband had told her he was going to divorce her. She was an alcoholic. They lived in extreme poverty. I went over to their house, and I mean, it was pitiful uh, circumstances that this woman lived in, and all this stuff just added up, so she had tried to commit suicide. And she came in and was talking to me, and she says, I'm not a Christian like you and the owner of this business, but I know that prayer works. And then she started crying, and she said, Would you please pray for my marriage? I'm going through my fourth divorce and if this man divorces me says that's the reason I was going to commit suicide I just can't live and she was crying and the way I responded to her was to say wait a minute I said let me make sure I've understood you right you aren't a Christian and you realize that you aren't a Christian and she said yes I said if you were to die right now you would go to hell and she said yes and I said and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation And she said, yes. And I said, lady, don't you realize that after you burned in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip whether this marriage worked or not. 
who cares about your marriage? You need to get saved. And it's just like I slapped her. She just stopped crying. She looked at me. She says, you know, you're absolutely right. And so I prayed with her and the woman got born again. And then we prayed about her marriage. Am I saying that your marriage isn't important? But I'm saying that in comparison to eternity, in comparison to other things. See, most people would put a, it's like you have a a fence or something that you put around yourself. And anything within this perimeter are things that you're supposed to rejoice over. If you have a headache, you're supposed to still praise God. If you've got a hangnail, you're supposed to still praise God. If the weather turns bad, you're supposed to still praise God. But if you're going through a divorce, you can't praise God through something like that. You'd be in denial. If you're told that you're laid off from work, you can't praise God in that. If the wrong person gets elected and the economy looks like it's going in the tubes, you can't praise God for that. And most people see just have a limit on how far they will praise God. And that is absolutely wrong. This is the reason I believe that Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, because people were going to think, well, he couldn't mean what he's saying. So he says, again, I say rejoice. He wanted you to know that he meant just exactly what he said. And we are supposed to be rejoicing in the Lord at all times. Psalms chapter 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. We are supposed to be praising God continually. And I'm telling you that... Our society says that's impossible. It's not even healthy. But I'm saying that this is what the Bible teaches. I'm going to share a lot of things with you as we go through this. And you need to look at this. And if you aren't blessing the Lord and really excited and praising God, I'm not saying that you're in denial that you have problems, but if you aren't able to praise God in spite of your problems, it is a huge indication about where you stand spiritually. And I'm not saying this to condemn anybody, but you can't fix the problem as long as you think what you're doing is good. You'll never change from it. You'll never turn from it. And our society has taught us wrong lessons about this, and and most of us don't let the Bible get in the way of what we believe, and I'm trying to change that situation. I'm trying to let you know that this is what the Word says, and you can rejoice in the Lord always. Look over here and say, I keep your finger here in Philippians. I'm going to come back. But in First uh, Peter chapter 1, I'm breaking into this again, but it says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This verse says that when you are believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I can truthfully say that if you aren't rejoicing, then you aren't believing. There's a lot of people that you've been given a diagnosis of cancer or, you know, who knows what it is. You're going to lose your job or, or just anything. Your wife is going to leave. Your children are in rebellion or who knows what's going on. And again, people think that if negative things happen in my life, I've got no alternative. I have to be depressed and discouraged. This says if you are in faith, 
you would rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you aren't rejoicing, and I mean not rejoicing through gritted teeth, but if you aren't rejoicing to the point that with your heart you are sincere and you mean it and you are praising God, then you aren't in faith. If you are believing, there is automatically faith that goes with it. You know, if you were believing God, say, for a million dollars or whatever it is, you know, that you're believing for, a lot of people, when they say that they're in faith, boy, their face is contorted, they're sad, they're fasting, they're, they're just gutting it out, and they think that that's faith. But if you were to see the manifestation, if somebody gave you the money that you were believing for, or if you got your physical manifestation and if the doctor says you're well and the thing was over with, or whatever it is that you're believing for, it's impossible for you to see your faith complete and have the desired results without there being some response of praise God. Thank you. There would automatically be some form of praise or rejoicing. Isn't that true? Just use your imagination. Think about something. And if you were to see the physical result, instantly there would be some kind of praise or thanksgiving. If you don't have that praise and thanksgiving, it's because you aren't looking at the promised results. You're looking at your problem. Your faith isn't complete. Anytime your faith becomes complete, there will always be praise and rejoicing with it. And brothers, I, I don't know you individually, but I, I really feel like this is something that the Lord laid on my heart. I was praying today, and I felt like God told me that this would be very beneficial for you. And so I know that he didn't leave me to say this for all the people that didn't come. I know that there's people right here that you're sitting there thinking, this is not what I need. I'm in the midst of a problem, and you want help, and you want this, and you want that, but you don't want to start praising God. This is important for you. Praise changes you. You know, in the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew is where Peter walked on the water. And that took faith. I could go over there and teach this whole thing from Matthew chapter 14. I'm just going to refer to this quickly. But they were in the midst of the sea. They saw Jesus walking on the water. And it says he would have passed by them. You know that the reason he came out there was to rescue them. He wasn't just going for a walk on the sea. They were praying. It looked like they were going to drown. And they were out there at his instructions. And so he went out there to help them. And yet it says he showed himself to them, but he would have walked by them. And they had to cry out to him. Boy, there's a great message. I could minister on that for an hour. But you know what? God is with every one of us. But you have to make a demand. You have to reach out in faith and take hold of God. God is always there, but He doesn't do things for you. He doesn't just automatically make you walk in health, in victory, in joy, in peace. He's with everyone. He has a perfect plan for every single person's life. But there are things you have to do to reach out and receive. That's not to say that you earn it, that you are somehow forcing God. But God is just a gentleman. God will always appear to you, but he doesn't just take control and do it for you. If God did everything for us, there wouldn't be a person in here that wasn't a spiritual giant. There wouldn't be a person in here who wasn't walking in health, that wasn't walking in victory, that wasn't manifesting his presence. But we are all at varying stages, not because God is dealing with us differently, but because we respond to God differently. God would like every one of us to be just totally 
operating in nothing but victory and being a world overcomer. So anyway, God doesn't just control things. He showed himself to them, but they had to cry out. And when they cried out to him, he said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Now, if Jesus just really wanted to cheer them up, why didn't he just stop the storm? And you can read about this. It's recorded in Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, and also in John chapter 6. And in John's record of this, when Jesus got into the boat, the boat and the disciples were translated to the other side of the lake. They instantly were on the other side. And so why, if Jesus just really wanted to cheer them up, why didn't he just stop the storm, stop the wind and the waves, and translate the boat to the other side and take them out of their problem, and then they'd have been happy? Why did he tell them to be of good cheer before there was any reason in the natural to be of good cheer. It's because God flows in our life according to faith. Faith is how we let God flow through us, how we reach out and receive his good things. And there needs to be faith on our part. Faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. God, by grace, has already provided everything for you, but faith is how you reach out and appropriate it. Faith doesn't make God move, but faith receives what God has already provided. And one of the ways that we operate in faith is to be of good cheer when it doesn't look like there's any reason to be of good cheer. Matter of fact, did you know today, again, I say that our society, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but we have become masters now of dodging responsibility and saying nothing is our fault and we blame everything on our dysfunctional family, on our upbringing, on our genes, on it's a midlife crisis, I'm not responsible. I got drunk and so therefore I killed somebody and you shouldn't hold me responsible, I'm drunk. It was your response, it was your fault that you got drunk and you're accountable for every single thing you do when you get drunk. But our society today is passing the buck. It started with Adam. He says, it's that woman that you gave me. He passed the buck to Eve and then tried to blame somebody else. But anyway, we don't accept responsibility today and we like to blame somebody else. But see, the Lord was telling them, you be of good cheer. You need to trust God and believe God and do something instead of blaming it on your genes and on your upbringing You need to man up and you need to take responsibility and say, I'm going to start praising God. I'm going to be of good cheer before the doctor says that everything is good, before the banker says it's good, before everything in the natural turns out perfectly. I'm going to praise God. And so Jesus told his disciples to praise God. And this isn't the only time. It says in John chapter 14, verse 1, this was the night before his crucifixion. The very first thing he told his disciples the night before his crucifixion, John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, Don't let your heart be troubled. Again, our society today would say, This is unreasonable. They were about to go through the crucifixion. Jesus was going to be arrested. Their entire lives and future were at risk. They were going to run for their life. They were going to see Jesus crucified. And it's clear that they did not understand the prophecies, although he had told them 14 times that he would be crucified and raised from the dead. They still didn't understand it. 
And so because they didn't understand it to them, it looked like the crucifixion was defeat. Here was the one that they were trusting was the son of God. He had done all of these miraculous things. And I mean, had control over the weather, raised the dead, opened blind eyes. It looked like everything he was claiming was true. But here on the cross, he was going to be crucified. And it looked like he could do nothing about it, like he was beaten. And so not only was their friend crucified, but all of their hopes that he was the Messiah were dashed. It was it was the worst case scenario anybody could ever go through. And Jesus was telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. Just hours before that happened. Did you know most people would say that's unreasonable? You should be broken hearted to see the one that you love crucified. Jesus said over in John chapter 14, I believe it's verse... Uh, I'm not going to turn over there or I'll preach on this. I'm trying to do it real quickly. But Jesus said, uh, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to die and go to my father. Did you know most of us would say, that's not true. If I really loved him, I'd be brokenhearted. No, if you really loved him, you would be excited that finally he gets out of this life and out of all of the persecution and the rejection. And Jesus just constantly talked about his father, how much he loved him. He would stay up all night long and pray to his father. And if they really were concerned about him and cared more about him than they did themselves, they would have rejoiced at his death and said, finally, if anybody ever goes to heaven, it had to be Jesus. Finally, he's with his father. Finally, he's out of this situation. And if it was all about loving him, they would have rejoiced is what he said over there in uh, John chapter 14, somewhere around verse 20, 28. Thank you. I knew it was close. And uh, they would have rejoiced. But you know why they were sad? Because it was all about them. They saw, what am I going to do? I thought he was the Christ. I left my business. I gave away my boat, my fishing business. I lost my family. I haven't been with my wife and kids for three years. I gave up everything. I was depending on him. Now, what am I going to do? Plus, if they crucify him, I may be next. You know why they had all of this fear and all of this hurt? It wasn't because they loved him. It's because they loved themselves and they were looking at it only from a wrong perspective, a carnal perspective, worst case scenario. And that's the reason that they were just so defeated. Again, from our standpoint, see, we look at that and we think, oh, you ought to be grieving. You ought to have trouble. Jesus told them, don't let your heart be troubled. He had already given them the word. And if they would have believed the word, I know that this is a hard word. And some of you think, boy, you aren't compassionate to people. I'm just acting like Jesus did. Jesus told them the night before he's crucified, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let this bother you. He would be unjust to command us to do things that we can't do. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, which John 14 was the beginning of his speech to his disciples that night. John 16, 33 is the end of his speaking. So John 14, 15, and 16 was all to the disciples. He started with, don't let your heart be troubled. He ended in verse 33 by saying, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
just in case some people can't connect these dots and recognize that you're supposed to be praising God even when things aren't good, he put it all in one verse. And he says, in the world, you are going to have tribulation like in the next 30 minutes. Amen. There's going to be a band of soldiers come and they're going to arrest me and they're going to try and do these things. You know, you are going to have tribulation in the next half hour, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He made it clear that it's not just be of good cheer when everything is going good, but you be of good cheer when the world is falling apart. And again, most people cannot accept what I'm talking about because they have it in their mind that your emotions are a direct response to what is happening in your life. And that is not true. It can be that way if you've believed a lie. But your emotions are a direct response to what you're thinking. For instance, you know, I could come up to you tonight and we, we could come up and have one of our security guys come up to you and say, hey, we got a call. And we just heard from your, uh, you know, family member or somebody called and your wife was in a car wreck and died while you're here. And we could lie to you. And it's not true. There is no chemical thing that happened that just automatically makes you grieve or something. It could be a lie. We could lie to you. But if you believed the lie, you would begin to start feeling grief, panic, sorrow, all kinds of things based on how you think, not based on reality, but based on how you think. And then if you found out that we lied to you and told you a lie, you'd feel angry and stuff like that because you've been manipulated and how could you dare do this? And yet nothing has even happened. All of it is just how you think. You can put on these virtual reality helmets and did you know that you can literally, you can go on a uh, roller coaster ride, and you can get sick and throw up from motion sickness and have never moved an inch. That's true. I mean, that's a, that's a physical thing. And it's all dependent on how you think and how you process things. And I'm saying, based on these scriptures, that if you were thinking in faith, which I'm going to explain this more in detail, but if you were thinking in faith you would see your situation differently and your emotions would follow the way you think. When your emotions are defeat and discouragement, I don't care what's going on in your life, it's because you're looking at it only from a carnal human perspective. You aren't seeing it through the eyes of faith. And your emotions just follow your thoughts. If you are carnal, Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says to be carnally minded is death. It didn't say it leads towards death. It's not the leading cause of death. For type A personalities, it causes death. There's no qualifications. It just says carnal mindedness equals death. But spiritual mindedness equals life and peace. Spiritual mindedness, John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So spiritual mindedness isn't just folding your hands and looking religious or doing something like that. Spiritual mindedness is word mindedness. The word is spirit and it's life. 
If you were thinking according to the Word of God, you would have nothing but life and peace. If you've got something other than life and peace going in your life, it's because you're something other than spiritually minded. Period. And again, I know that there's people saying, that's not true. You don't know my situation. You don't know the Word. Spiritual mindedness produces life and peace. You know, if I wanted to see what you planted in your garden, I don't have to be there when you plant it. All I got to do is be there when something grows. And I can tell you what you planted. If you got peas growing, corn growing, okra growing, you planted it or somebody planted it. Things produce after their own kind. If you are defeated, discouraged, fearful, depressed, all of these things, you can say what you want to, but you have not been spiritually minded or it would produce life and peace, period. I'm not saying this to condemn a single person, but I'm saying that, see, as long as you think that this substandard life and that your emotions are like a yo-yo and you can't control it and you are praying and asking God to remove these problems and only when your problems are removed can you praise God. As long as you think that way, that means you're carnally minded and it's always going to produce death in you. You're going to have to start realizing that it doesn't matter what goes on in your life. It doesn't matter if the doctor says you're going to die. It doesn't matter if you go through a divorce. It doesn't matter if you lose somebody that you love. It doesn't matter if you get laid off. There is a spiritual way of looking at this and seeing it through God's eyes. And when you are spiritually minded, all it produces is life and peace. So Peter got out of that boat, Mark chapter 14. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he walked on top of the water. It was a major miracle. It was awesome. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and he began to sink. The key in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, You have to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if you were looking at Jesus, you will not sink. It's when you take your eyes off of Jesus. It's when you quit operating in faith. It's when you get to looking at your situation and processing it through only eyes of doubt and fear and worry that you begin to sink. And notice it says he began to sink. He didn't just plop down all at once. I've never seen anybody begin to sink in my life. But in this situation, it was faith that was keeping him on top of the water. And he didn't fall all at once. He began to sink. And when he began to sink, he called out to Jesus. And Jesus picked him up and they walked back to the boat. But you know, the wind and the waves, that didn't have anything to do with him walking on the water. He couldn't have walked on the water if it had been a perfectly calm day. The wind and the waves didn't do anything. What it did, it took his attention off of Jesus. It got him to thinking, what am I doing out here? I'm only human. It put him back in the natural realm. It took his attention off of the supernatural. And Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. What you could say is he quit operating by faith and he started going by sight and in the natural and he began to sink. And brothers, I'm saying this to you in love. I know some of you may think I'm trying to criticize you. And man, you came here for help and all I'm doing is ragging on you. 
But I'm trying to help you, really. You may not perceive it that way, but it's the truth. But if you aren't just, you know, uh, believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8. If you aren't full of glory and rejoicing and praising God, you can whitewash it any way you want to, but your eyes aren't on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You're looking at your situation in the natural realm. You're listening to what the doctor has to say, to what the banker has to say, to what your own brain has to say, but you aren't spiritually minded or it would be producing life and peace. Man, that's powerful. Did you keep your finger in Philippians? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. See, here again is rejoicing, thanksgiving. You have to pray with thanksgiving. You know, I listen to a lot of people's prayers. And so many people pray and they cry and they're just so pitiful and they're telling God how bad it is and they're crying and they're wailing and travailing and there isn't an ounce of thanksgiving. There isn't an ounce of praise. The scripture says in Psalms 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. That's not a suggestion, it's a command. We are supposed to enter his gates with thanksgiving. When Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it starts by saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You start with praising him. Then you slip in. Give us this day our daily bread. And then you end with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's what I call the sandwich technique. You start with praising God. You slip in a a prayer request and then you end with another praising God. You put it between these two slices of praise. And that's the way that the Lord told us that we're supposed to do things. And yet I can guarantee you many people, I'm sure many people right here, you come to the Lord and it's just like you throw up on him and just tell him all of the hurts and all of your pains and oh God, listen to what they've said and wonder why nothing's working. That's not the instruction that the Lord gave us. And here's a point that I, here's, here's a point I'm trying to get across. I'm not sure I have the right words to communicate this. But you don't just praise God because he commanded it and because he told you to do it and you're going to do it through gritted teeth, and I am depressed, but Andrew said I'm supposed to bless the Lord always, so bless God, I'm going to do it. That's not what I'm trying to get you to do. But what happens is, when you are looking in faith, it's like, did you ever use a 35 millimeter camera, and you know, you go to the zoo or something, and you can take a picture of those animals through a fence, and if you focus on the animal in the distance, this chain-link fence will just disappear. It just goes away. It's like it's not even there. You can take a picture and not even see it because you're focused beyond it. And whatever you're focused on is what you see. But on the other hand, you could focus on the chain-link fence and the animal would disappear. Well, it's, it's this way. People 
who are depressed and discouraged, it's because your focus is too close. You're focused on your problem. You're seeing this and your emotions do follow what you think. If you are focused just in the natural realm, like if you're looking at our nation, our nation is moving in the wrong direction. I'm not here to bash our nation. I praise God for the United States. I think we're the best thing afloat. I think it's easier to fix the problem from inside the boat than to dog paddle, amen, and get outside. I'm staying here, amen. I'm not, I'm not critical of it, but you know what? It's moving in the wrong direction. I, I saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. And you know what? In the natural, that's absolutely true. If all you do is look at the bad things going on, something's wrong with you if you aren't depressed and if you aren't concerned about our nation. But I am not primarily a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen of heaven. I praise God for this nation. But you know what? I am a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and I belong to a kingdom that is greater than the United States. Paul lived in a situation that was much worse than mine. The guy who ruled that place, that ruled Rome, Caesar, proclaimed himself as God and all of the ungodly things that were going on. Man, you think our taxes are bad. It was much worse in his day. Everything was much worse. And yet, man, he was just rejoicing and praising God. If Paul could do it in that situation, I could do it. As long as I'm looking beyond this situation and I'm focused on God. We've got Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13. I think it's Luke chapter 17, 21. It tells about what's going to happen in the end times and it shows that God's going to win. All of these things, it says, when you see these things beginning to come past, then lift up your head and look because your redemption draws nigh. And if you were to look with a spiritual eyesight, if you were to focus and filter everything that's happening in the natural through the eyes of faith, you could be rejoicing regardless of what's going on. You know, when the economic downturn happened 2008, in the fall of 2008, people began to start pushing the panic button. And this was right during the time that God was telling me that I had thought too small, I needed to dream bigger, and I was beginning to dream big, and God had placed a vision in front of me. And all of a sudden, the bottom fell out. And we had ministries and churches that started planning on decrease. They started decreasing their budget 15, 20, 25% before any finances quit coming in. They were anticipating the problems. But did you know the scripture says that God will supply my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And God was leading me to just do things that were going to cost much more money. And I just chose to look at the word instead of at this situation. I didn't have my head in the sand. If you would have asked me, have you heard about how the stock market went down? Have you heard about how the real estate bottomed out? I've heard all those things. It's not like I was ignorant of it. But see, I was focused beyond that on the Word of God. And because of that, man, I was excited. And we began the biggest expansion, the biggest thing that I've ever done in the history of my life right during the worst downturn. Amen. David just sent me a thing, an email today, and I think it was 1996, but it was 95 statistics. Our total income was 1.8 million, and this year in December it was 
something million. Did you know we have increased 18 and a half times in, during that period of time? And since 2008, I think we've doubled since 2008 or more. We've got a $32 million building program going on, and I'm only $7.2 million away from having it paid for. I've got 12 months to come up with that $7.2 million. I'm going to do it all debt-free during the worst time in the economy. And I haven't had, I haven't had one anxious thought. I haven't been burdened by it. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm saying it to verify that it works, that the word works. And did you know we are seeing prosperity and we're seeing things happen? And one of the big reasons is because, man, I just decided that I am not going to let what this world system says and how this world operates control me. God is going to supply my need according to his... And because I was able to see beyond just the physical... I heard the physical. I saw what was happening, but I was focused on what the Word said. And because I'm focused on that, did you know what? It's just natural for me to rejoice because what I'm seeing is good. Some of you say, but you don't live out there in the world. You don't know what it's like. Give me a break. I could spend a lot of time you know, defending myself, but I could show you hundreds, hundreds and thousands of ministries that are struggling. And when financial problems hit the body of Christ, it hits their ministry. And it, it's not automatic. Just because I'm a minister doesn't mean that these things work. It's because I've been focused on this. And I'm telling you, it's, it's over a lifetime. It's not just a one-time deal, but it's a lifetime of just choosing to focus on the things of God instead of focused on the natural. You know, when my son died, some of you have heard me talk about this, but we got the call. My son was dead. He'd been dead for four hours. My wife and I had to get up and drive into town. I began to start having feelings of hurt, pain, sorrow, grief, the same as any person would. And you know what? I didn't like it. It's been 44 years, or probably I could say safely 42 years since I have been depressed. I don't believe in being depressed. I don't like being depressed. And some of you thought, oh, you can't control that. You can too. Don't wake me up. I haven't been depressed in 42, 43 years. Well, mine is a chemical imbalance. No, it's a loose wire in your brain is what it is. Anyway, I know many. See, we've just, we've been so influenced by the world that I can't control it. Yes, you can. Your emotions follow what you think. The reason you're so depressed is because you're thinking on such depressing things. And you're saying, but my life is depressing and I've tried to get God to change it. I'm telling you that regardless of what's going on out here, if you would focus beyond just the physical and look into the spiritual realm, focused on what the Word of God says, there are some awesome things. And some of us think, well, what? 
Well, for one thing, just look back that God so loved you that he sent his son and died for you. And if worse comes to worse, you're going to die and live forever in a mansion in heaven. And it's going to be awesome. And you'll never have any sorrow or sadness. There'll never be any sickness. You got streets paved of gold. If you were to just look back at what's already happened, you could be praising God. There is zero reason for you to be griping. Somebody said, but they told me I'm going to die. Well, we sing when we all get to heaven. What a day that's going to be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. I'm not saying that it's not important whether you live or die, but I'm saying that if you could look beyond just the physical and recognize that, man, you're going to live forever. You could get the attitude that the Apostle Paul had in Philippians chapter 1. He says, man, I'm in a great strait between these two things. I have a desire to depart and go be with the Lord in heaven, but it's more needful for you. And I don't know which I'd rather choose. See, he was looking beyond just this physical world. He saw heaven, and because of it, he wanted to go. If you were spiritually minded, even if you didn't receive your healing, which it is God's will for you to be healed, but even if you didn't receive your healing, you could rejoice and you could be excited. And you I mean, the doctor tells you you're going to die, and it's all you can do to just keep from reaching up and kissing the guy. Man, this is awesome. And all of the Christians would say, you're in denial. You aren't handling this very well. You aren't going through the 13 stages of grief. No, you're just spiritually minded is what it is. And did you know when you get that attitude and there's so much joy, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, that a merry heart does good like a medicine. And if you were able to truly rejoice, did you know many of you, your sicknesses would leave just like that because your immune systems would come back. The doctors have said that sadness, worry, depression, stress hurts your immune system. And, and I for, I've seen statistics, but it's a large percentage, close to 50% or more of all sickness and disease is caused because of worry and stress and things like this that suppress your own ability to just get over things. And if you were to just praise God, if you could see beyond the circumstance and praise God and operate in a little faith, you would find out that you would rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. A merry heart would do good like a medicine and you'd get well and things would happen. Man, that's awesome. Did you know in your marriage, instead of looking at all the person isn't doing, if you were to focus on the good, again, I'm not saying deny that they've ever done anything wrong. But look on the good and start being thankful for the good. Did you know it would change your marriage? I heard a testimony about a man who was a pastor. And he literally was thinking of divorcing his wife and going and getting another wife because his wife didn't play the piano. She didn't teach in the church. She wouldn't lead a women's group. And he thought that she wasn't spiritual enough for him and he needed a more spiritual wife. And this pastor was actually contemplating divorce and going and getting a more spiritual wife so his ministry could take off. But he had enough sense to know that this is not, you know, good. Divorce isn't the way to do it. And so he got to praying and he says, God, what's wrong? 
And the Lord told him, he says, I want you to quit praying for your wife. Because, you know, he thought he was really interceding for her, but all he was doing was, oh, God, make her spiritual. And in the process, he would, he would mention everything that she wasn't doing, everything she, he wanted her to be that she wasn't. And he was just focused on the negative. And the more he focused on her weaknesses and the things that she hadn't done, the more he was upset with her. And the Lord told him, quit praying. For your wife. You know, many of you, the best thing you could do is quit praying for your wife because all you're doing is complaining. I heard Charles Capps one time say he was praying and the Lord said, Charles. And he said, yes, sir. And he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm praying. And the Lord said, you aren't praying. You're complaining. (laughs) And there's a lot of people that just do nothing but complain. And all you do is just spew out all of your doubt and unbelief and rehearse everything negative that's going on And by the time you get through spending 30 minutes doing that, you're depressed. (laughs) So the Lord told his guy to quit praying for his wife. And he says, instead, I want you every day for two weeks to ask me to show you something good and just thank him for something good about your wife. Just focus on the good. And so the very first day, he couldn't think of anything good. He couldn't come up with one decent thing about his wife. And he says, Lord, I can't think of anything good. Show me something good about my wife. And you know what the Lord told him? He says, she's never cheated on you. She's been faithful to you. Think what that would have done to your ministry if your wife would have gone out and committed adultery or done something. And he said, well, you know, that is good. And he says, thank you that my wife has been faithful to me for 20, 30 years, whatever it was. And he's, he just started thanking God. And he spent the whole time thanking God that this woman had been faithful. Then the second day, he says, Lord, I need help again. What else can I thank you for? And he says, you know what? You traveled the world. You were gone with the church a lot. And your wife raised your kids and she never was bitter at you. And she never griped and complained and She had to be the father and the mother sometimes, and your wife was just faithful. And look at your kids and how good it is. And you know what? He said, thank you, Father. That's good. And he started praising God for that. And then every day for two weeks, he just had the Lord show him something that wasn't necessarily spectacular, but that this woman had just been with him and done all of these things. And did you know at the end of two weeks, this man was on his face before God saying, what a godly woman. Man, I've got the greatest woman in the world. And he was so thankful. And it changed their entire marriage by him quitting, praying that she would be this and this and this, and instead just thanking God for who she was, what he already had. I'm telling you, the way to see people change, your marriage change, your situation change, is to start focusing on the good things that God has done. To focus on what he's already done, but then also take the promises and focus on what he's going to do. Some of you thought I forgot this story about my son being raised from the dead, but I'm back to it now. (laughs) I didn't like these feelings of grief and stuff, and so you know what I did? I just said, Father, I'm going to praise you. And I, out loud... Sometimes, you know, when you're having thoughts bombard you. I had somebody ask me the other day, can you pray in tongues in your mind and not speak it out loud? Can you rebuke the devil just in your mind and not out loud? And I believe you can. But I tell you, when the battle is raging, it helps to say it out your mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I was having some serious 
negative feelings and doubts and fears come at me, and I out loud started praising God and thanking Him, Father, you didn't kill my son. Thank you for this knowledge. Thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you didn't do this. And my wife and I had spoken and commanded him to come back to life, but I got to saying, Father, it's not your fault. You didn't kill him. And if my son didn't come back, I am not going to quit serving you. I'm not going to make my praise conditional on if everything works out. You know, I'm going to praise you regardless. And I just started praising God. And as soon as I started praising God, God reminded me of prophecies spoken about that boy. I could spend a lot of time giving them to you, but they were supernatural by people that didn't even know I had children, and yet they came and said, you've got two boys, and they told me specifically what each one would do. And it was supernatural. I knew it was from God. And if those prophecies were from God, they hadn't come to pass yet. And if God really said that, well, then that means that it was God's will for them to come back to life, and it was going to happen. And all of a sudden... After I started praising God, you know what it did? There's a, there's a number of things, but one of them, it helped me to look beyond the physical circumstances that I had right then, and I looked at the Word of God. I was focused on the spiritual, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And did you know I started that process by praising God through gritted teeth? I didn't feel like it. I did it because I knew it was good. And I didn't want to be depressed and discouraged. I knew it was a weapon against the devil. So I did it just because I knew it was the right thing to do. But as soon as I started doing it, see, this is one of the things about praise. Praise makes you focus on God. It makes you focus on the spiritual realm because in the natural realm, there are bad things. In the natural realm, every one of us have got problems. Did you know in just the natural, unless you look at the spiritual, unless you look at the Word of God, what it says about eternity and stuff like that, every one of us is dying. Every one of us is headed for a grave unless Jesus comes back. And you know, if you just looked at this totally in the natural and didn't factor any spiritual things into it, that's depressing. (laughs) Amen? None of us want to think about dying and all of these things, but it's going to happen. But see, you can look beyond that. You can look at what the Word of God says, and you can see that as your entrance into eternity. And you can begin to get a picture painted of what eternity's like and recognize, man, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be awesome. And you can lose your fear of death, and you can get to where you're actually excited. But in the natural sea, my son was dead. He had been dead for four hours. And even if he came back to life, you go without oxygen for four hours, you're going to have some serious problems. And you know what? There's just a lot of things to be concerned about. But when I started praising God, there was nothing to praise him for in the natural. The natural was bad. It forced me to look on the spiritual. And I started thinking of these prophecies. And when I did, my faith was quickened. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, I had joy rise up on the inside of me. I started laughing, and I wasn't laughing by faith. It wasn't uh, through gritted teeth I was laughing. But my praise had focused me on the uh, spiritual realm. When I saw the promises, I connected the dots, realized, man, my son's going to come back to life. I started laughing, and I told Jamie, I said, this is going to be the greatest miracle we have ever experienced. And I'm telling you, your emotions follow what you think. If I would have just thought, if I would have seen my son dead, something would be wrong with me if I wasn't depressed. 
But you know what? I was able to look beyond that. I was able to see my son alive. Even if you've lost somebody and they didn't come back to life, you can look beyond it and say, praise God, we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. We are going to be reunited. This is just a, a longer separation, but we will be united. You can look at it in the spiritual realm and you can keep from being depressed. You can keep from operating in grief. That doesn't mean that you don't love the person and that you don't miss them. You know, my mother died in 99, and I've missed her. I was telling Jamie this just this week. I've missed her, and there's sometimes I'd like to see her, but, man, I haven't grieved one ounce for my mother. She was ready to go for a year. Every time I'd call her, she says, Andy, are you praying that I'll die? And I'll say, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'll die. And every time I'd see her, she says, why is it taking me so long to die? I'm ready to go. Man, she wanted to go, and I, I don't want her to come back. There's some times I'd like to see her, but you know what? Man, I'm looking for her. It's just a little extended separation, but I'll see her again. And if you're thinking spiritually minded, there's no reason for it. You, could, you can love a person. You can miss them. But the grief of this world is an indication that you aren't thinking spiritually. You're thinking carnally. You're thinking about what you're missing instead of what they're experiencing. And on and on and on we could go with this. I'm telling you, praise, when you start developing praise, it makes you focus on the good. You know, again, we got this $32 million project going. That's just the first phase. The second phase is another $20 million. Amen. And so this first phase, I've got to come up with $7.2 million extra dollars in the next 12 months, which is just a little over, what's that, $600,000 a month extra that I've got to come up with. Did you know I could either look on what's going to happen if I don't do it? What are the consequences going to be? What this is going to cost me? What are people going to think of me? Because I've been blabbing this all over the world on television and saying things. And, what's the, and I could look at that, and I tell you, if I thought that way, I would have worry. I'd have stress. It, it'd keep me up at night. It would do all kinds of things to me because in the natural, I hadn't got $7.2 million and I hadn't got a hope of raising it in the natural if God doesn't come through. But you know, I can look at it this way. Here we are and we've already got what would, what would be 32.3 minus 7.2. That'd be 25. We've got $25 million either in the bank already paid or pledged towards this thing. And I can look at that and thank God, when we started this thing a couple of years ago, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And in 24 months, we've come up with 25 million. That's over a million a month. I only need 600,000 a month. I'm already there. This is no problem. And it just depends on how you look at it. It just depends whether you're seeing through the eyes of faith, whether you're looking through the promises of God, or whether you're looking in the natural. If you're looking at your job situation, I bet you there's some people here that are out of work and have been out of work for a while. And if you're just looking at things in the natural, and if you're listening to the news talking about the job market and how bad it is and et cetera, et cetera, and all these kind of things... And if that's what you're looking at, I can guarantee you, you will be depressed. You will have worry. You will have fear if that's what you think. 
But if you look at the scriptures that my God shall supply all of your need through his riches in glory. If you go over to Genesis chapter 26, where during a year of famine, Isaac, uh, who was it? Isaac. He stayed in a, in a land that was having famine, and in a year of famine, he sowed his seed and received a hundredfold return in a time that other people didn't even plant their crops. They deserted their field. They went to uh, Egypt for protection, and he not only had a hundredfold return, which is awesome, but nobody else had any crops, so he had a monopoly, a corner on the market. He got top dollar for it. He became filthy, stinking, dirty, rich during a time that everybody else was suffering because he thought differently than everybody else, and he based it on what God told him instead of what everybody else was saying. The same thing would work for you. If you were looking through the Word of God and taking it, and those are, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises about prosperity, and it didn't say except in recession. Except in hard times. Except for those of you who work for a big corporation that closed or downsized. There's just no exceptions to it. If you were thinking spiritually minded, God, this is a great opportunity for you to repackage yourself and go in a different direction and, and experience the greatest time in your life. Man, you could be prospering. There is, no, there is no exception to what I'm saying. There's a million different situations for every single person. Every person, it seems to have a little bit different circumstance, but the answer is exactly the same. There are promises to every one of you for your marriage, for your health, for your finances, for your vision, for your children, for your old age, for your retirement. I don't care what you're dealing with. There are abundance of promises for everything that you're dealing with. And if you were looking at the spiritual side and focused on what God's Word was saying, it would cause you to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Back here in Philippians, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then it's no coincidence that he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, I could teach on this for an hour. I hadn't got that much time tonight, but you ought to take these verses and look at the things that you're thinking on. What are you focusing your attention on? Does it conform to this? Are you focusing on things that have virtue? and praise in them? Are you looking on the things that are lovely, honest, pure, of good report? And brothers, again, I'm not trying to indict anybody, but I just deal with a lot of people. And I can guarantee you, if this is typical, you're probably a little bit above the average because this isn't the Sunday morning crowd. This is Thursday night. You guys have come for all weekend, so you're probably the... Hardcore fanatics. Amen. Amen. But you know what? I would be shocked if the majority of people sitting right here in this room still didn't focus on all of the bad stuff and listen to all the bad reports. 
That's just the way it is, even among Christians. You know, we've got all these conservative talk show hosts, which I think that there is a place for them because our media has been taken over by uh, people that aren't reporting news. It's propaganda. And so I, I admit that we're in a bad situation, and I think that there is a place for it, but I can guarantee you this. If you are listening to one of these conservative talk show hosts for three hours a day, you are not thinking on things that are honest, pure, lovely, of good report, things that have virtue and praise. You are focused on the worst of everything, and they use sarcasm to tear people down, which it's one thing to disagree, but to do it in sarcasm and stuff the way they do, that's just, it's not good. It's not healthy. I listen to some of that stuff because every once in a while I want to know, you know, what about this? But man, I have to take it in small chunks. It's depressing. It's defeating. It's bad. And there are many of you that, boy, you just somehow or another feel like it is your God-given obligation to analyze the worst thing that could possibly happen to look at worst case scenario and after you've built up so much unbelief that you're about to smother under it, then you say, God, I'm trusting you and you start trying to look at God. The Bible says that you should be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. And I'm telling you, this would change your life if you would just say that, you know what, I am going to rejoice in the Lord always. I am going to let every request be made known with thanksgiving. I am not going to be anxious or take care. I'm going to cast my care over on the Lord and let the peace of God rule in my life. I'm going to focus on things that are honest, pure, lovely, just, good report, things that have virtue and praise. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. I will not let my heart be troubled. I am going to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And if you were determined to do that, you would have to start focusing on God. You would have to put down your bad news and you'd have to start looking in here because this is the only thing that regardless of what's going on, it, it says, even though the earth be removed and the mountains cast into the sea, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. This is the only thing that will say that. Everything else will say, well, yeah, praise God, unless you have a hangnail. And then you couldn't praise God. If you've got pain in your body, if this happens or that happens, man, this is the only thing that'll, that'll give you this kind of encouragement, and you would have to start focusing on this. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and then you would start rejoicing. You might have to start it, in the flesh and say, I'm just going to praise God and I'm going to find something good to praise God about. But once you start doing it and looking, the Holy Spirit would guide you to see Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and you would begin to rise up above that thing. You would begin to walk on the water. You'd begin to start actually having joy and peace because you really are excited. You really are praising God because you're seeing the positive side of it instead of the negative side of it you begin to start saying, man, this is going to make an awesome testimony. Amen? Man, that's powerful. And I'm telling you, you can fake a lot of things. 
But you know what? You cannot fake walking in peace and joy and thanksgiving. You might could do it for a moment. But I tell you, I've ministered things like this, and I've had people come up to me and say, well, praise God. But you know, you can, you can just tell it's not real. But then, man, I have other people that honestly, you feel like they've won the lottery or something, and you know what's going on with them. I mean, why aren't you just devastated? And it's because they're operating in faith, because they're seeing beyond this. I had a man that just had some really bad things happen, and uh, he said that for a few nights it was hard on him and stuff like this. But then one of our uh, friends, a lady that runs a camera for us when we travel on GTS is Jerry Betts, called, and she didn't know anything that had gone on. And she said, I was just praying for you, and God told, God showed me it's like a bomb went off in your life. And that was very descriptive of where this person was. But then Jerry, without knowing anything, says, but the Lord showed me this isn't going to destroy anything, that he's harnessing all of that energy, and it's going to be like a rocket that propels you into your destiny and what God wants. And that's exactly what's happened. You can either take these negative things and you can let them destroy you or you can look at it and say, man, this is going to propel me into the next thing. I'm going to take all of this energy and all of these things that have happened and praise God, harness it and use it for good. There is a way to take any negative thing that has happened in your life and see it in the light of what God has promised. You know, I had a situation where the very first book I ever put out was this little book that I called uh, Grace and Faith. Now it's called Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. But originally it was called Grace and Faith. And it cost, uh, I went with a publisher and they told me it was going to cost $27,000 to publish, I forgot how many, uh, you know, 10,000, 20,000 copies or whatever this was. And so uh, anyway, I didn't have the money. So the way I came up with it, I wrote my partner's and I told them that I felt like this was really going to be an important book. And uh, if they would like one, I'd sell it to them in advance. They'd give me the money, and then I'd give them the thing uh, in return. And so we did that, and I raised the $27,000. And this is back when my income was about three or $4,000 a month. It wasn't very much. And, I mean, this was huge for me. I'm not sure the exact amount, but it was like six months worth of my income to come up with $27,000. And I took it, I gave it to the publisher, and it turned out that me and Charles Stanley and Nikki Cruz, this guy sold us this printing at half price from what it would normally cost, and then he took all of the money and absconded with it and went to Canada, and he left all of us holding the bag. And so I not only didn't have the book published, but when I went back to the publisher, they said that this guy, you know, had stolen this money from them too, that they were out and uh, said it's going to cost you $44,000 now to publish this book. So I not only was out the 27000 but I was out another 44000 because I had to come through and deliver and I didn't have that money. And it was nearly like a year's income or something. And... Uh, Man, I just was, I, I was shocked when they told me this. And you could ask my staff, there, there was a bunch of my staff standing around me because everybody else heard about it before I did and they wanted to see how I was going to respond. 
So they told me, and I just kind of stood there, and I was in absolute shock for maybe 10 seconds. And then immediately the word came to my mind. Proverbs chapter 6, if you catch a thief, he has to restore sevenfold or give all of the substance of his house to repay. So I immediately took a pencil and paper and I said seven times 27 and I multiplied that out and I said, this is how much money we're coming up with this year. And did you know that that year we came up, I mean, within probably 10 to $20, exactly that much money over the previous year's income. And it was a doubling of my income or more. And I mean, I began to rejoice and praise God. And I said, this is, I've got it. I've got this scripture to stand on. And I quit looking at just the physical, natural things and started looking at it in the spiritual. And did you know it all came to pass? I remember when our computer system went down. This is back before we had people that were really as well-versed in computers as what we have now. And our entire mailing list was blitzed. At that time, it was 60,000 people on our total mailing list. We lost it all at once. We lost all orders. And so we had, I don't even know, but maybe $10,000 worth of orders. People had given the money, and we didn't even know who had ordered. We couldn't even send them something and say, we're sorry, it'll take us longer. We couldn't respond. We couldn't send things. We couldn't do anything. We lost everything. Boom. Plus, I had to come up with a new computer, and we had, and it was just devastating. It could have totally destroyed the ministry. And you know what? I basically did the same thing. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And I just started praising God, and there was nothing to praise God for in the natural. It was a disaster. And by making the decision, I'm going to praise God, it made me start focusing on the spiritual realm and looking at God and saying, God, there's got to be some way to work this thing together for good. And you know what? I actually went on radio. I was only on radio at the time. And I went on radio and I just told them. And I told them exactly what happened. And I said, I am sorry, but I can't even tell you that your order's in process. I can't apologize I said, I need mercy. And when people found out, I didn't even ask for finances, but when people found out what had happened, did you know that our finances just began to double and triple and people gave it to us? And it was one of the best things that ever happened. (laughs) It all worked out for good. And I can tell you circumstance after circumstance after circumstance, and people say, well, it just seems like you live a blessed life. I do. But you know what? Every one of us is blessed. And the only reason some people don't see the blessing manifest is because when something happens, they get trapped in just the natural. Their emotions follow your thoughts and you can only focus on the natural. You can only focus on the physical. You don't have faith. You aren't looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And I'm telling you that praise not only does you good, it'll make you feel better, but it will force you to focus on Jesus. It will force you to get into faith because there's so much in this fallen world that is not praiseworthy. It will force you to get into faith. And it will affect everybody around you. If you started praising God for your mate, praising God for your children, and finding something good to thank them for and praise them for, And if you started doing this, if you were to go to work and instead of griping and complaining about what isn't happening, focus on what is happening. Focus on the good. Praise God that you got a job. 
I came walking through our break room one time in another building that we had, and we had a young guy there about 19 years old, and I, I was walking through, and he walked in during lunch, and he said, T-G-I-F. And I said, what does that stand for? And he says, thank God it's Friday. And I said, what's so great about Friday? And he says, it's the weekend. I don't have to work. And I said, I could fix it that you don't ever have to work. <laughs> and this guy just looked at me and he said, oh, I didn't mean that. I mean, I like my job. I said, you know, there's a lot of people that would love to have your job. If you don't like working here, just tell me. And we've got 10 people waiting in line. And you know, within just a short period of time, this guy was apologizing up one side and down the other. And I know I was, I was messing with him on that, but, <laughs> but my point is how many of you gripe about your job and talk about the negative and man, you ought to be praising God that you got a job. Instead of griping about it, you ought to be praising God. I had an instance where a guy came to me one time and this guy had, I forget the exact details, but he had worked there seven years or something. He was the only employee when it started. There was now like 15 or 20 employees. And people who came in after him were actually promoted above him and were now his supervisor. His salary had basically stayed the same. These other people were even started at a higher level than he was paid and all of these things. And this guy was just mad and angry and came in telling me about all of this. And I used some of this same logic. I said, you know, all you're doing is focusing on the negative. I said, you got a job. You ought to be praising God for that. And I said, who knows what's going on with your boss? He says, oh, my boss hates me because I'm a Christian. He said, these other guys aren't Christians and they go drink with him and do stuff. And he's, it's just prejudiced and all this. And I said, Man, instead of focusing on all this stuff, you ought to just be praising God that you got a job. And I said, start thanking God and praying for your boss instead of against your boss. Start trying to figure out why he's like he is. What is going on with him? And anyway, this guy decided to take my advice. He came back in just two weeks. And he says, you'll never believe what happened. And I said, try me. And this guy said, I started praying for my boss and the Lord showed me. He hadn't put these things together. His boss was going through a divorce and his boss was hurting and things. And he said, I realized that this guy, you know, he just, he just has all kinds of problems. And he says, instead of feeling hurt and thinking about what he had done to me, I realized that he had all these problems. And he says, I've been praying for him and I actually had compassion come on, on him for his boss. And his boss walked through one day and just said something to him real rude and insulted him. And he just said, I forgive you. And his boss, like, you forgive me. And he got mad and stormed out. In a few minutes, he came back and he says, what do you mean you forgive me? And he says, well, you know, I've been, I, I was upset about I'm the oldest employee here. I'm still making the same salary. And he says, I was really upset. And he says, but I realized I was wrong. And I've been praying for you. And the Lord showed me about that you were going through a divorce. And he says, I've been praying for you. And I just want you to forgive me for the attitude that I had. And he didn't criticize the boss. He just confessed his attitude. Did you know within a few days, the boss came to him, made him the supervisor, doubled his salary and gave him a two weeks paid vacation. And all that happened when he quit griping about how bad everything was and started focusing on the good and decided he was going to praise God and do something. 
Did you know praise not only affects you and changes your focus and everything, it changes everybody around you. When somebody comes in and they're negative, you can feel that with your back to them when they walk in the door. It's the same thing when somebody comes in and they're praising God. It affects things. It changes the atmosphere. You can change the spiritual condition of a place by going in and start praising God and talking about the good things. I was playing basketball one time with a bunch of guys, and these, these were guys that I'd never met before, and they were a lot younger than me. And we were playing basketball, and they were using profanity and blasting God and saying these terrible, terrible things. And anyway, I just couldn't take it anymore. And all of a sudden, I made a mistake, and I just went, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! And just started praising God. And boy, it stopped the whole game. <laughs> Everybody looked at me and said, What are you doing? I said, You praise your God? I'll praise my God. Amen. <laughs> But I didn't say it in a condemning way. I just laughed about it. And did you know that within just a minute or two, every time something would go wrong, they'd go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> they weren't sincere, but it was really great because all we heard was, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. And you know, by the end of the thing, I was able to share all Jesus with all of those guys and talk to, and, and it just changed the circumstance. I'm telling you, brothers, we just, we are a part of the problem instead of an answer to the problem when you get depressed and discouraged. And I am not saying that you don't have problems, but I'm saying that regardless what your problem is, God's answer is greater, infinitely greater than your problem. And you can either focus on that problem and be depressed and discouraged, and that'll show you your spiritual condition, which is poor. Or you can look beyond that thing and begin to focus on God and on His supply. And when you do, you can start praising God. And then once that praise operates, a verse I was wanting to get to, I didn't make it, I'll just quote it. In uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, um, let's see, what does it say? Have you got that up there? Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. This says you abound in faith with thanksgiving. When you start giving thanks and praising God, it means you've had to look past your problem. You're looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You're spiritually minded, and it will make your faith abound. If you aren't giving thanks, your faith isn't abounding. It's weak. It's anemic. And you've got to look beyond that and start praising God. I tell you, it'll help you. It'll change you. It'll change your circumstances. It'll make faith rise up. It seems like, you know, it's one of these things that feeds on itself. You start praising God and your faith rises. And then the more faith you have, the more you start praising God. And that causes your faith to rise. It's just like a perpetual motion machine, amen. You can't lose. So I want you to praise God. I want you to begin to start looking beyond your problem. And I know that some of you have come here with serious problems. I had one guy I've already talked to who's here with lung cancer and going through treatments and is here for a miracle. And you know what? You can either look at your problem and listen to what the doctors say and talk about how impossible this is and think about what happens if I don't get it and you can do that. Or you can begin to look at the Word of God that has promised you that He's healed you of all of your diseases 
and all of these things, and you can see yourself well, and you can begin to start praising God. It's up to you. Don't wait until the problem is over and there's nothing bad, and then you're going to praise God because you won't ever praise God. There's always going to be something bad. If you don't have any bad things in your life right now, just hold on. You will. Amen? I mean, it's been decades ago that I quit praying that God would remove all of the obstacles because you can't do that. We live in a fallen world. God wants you to confront the obstacles. He wants you to come across the paths of people who are mean as a snake and bitter and angry because they need you. He doesn't want us to live in a monastery and try and avoid all problems. He wants you to be out in the world and affecting it. But you've got to be able to look beyond it and rejoice and praise God. And you can do it. Amen. You can do it or he wouldn't have given you the command. He'd be unjust to command you to do something that you don't have the ability to do. In yourself you can't do it, but through Christ you can do all things. You can praise God. Let's stand up right now. And I'm going to ask you before I give an invitation for people to come forward. I tell you, Daniel, would you mind coming up here on the piano? Well, we got the piano covered up, don't we? Can you uncover it? I'd like Daniel just to start praising God and leading us in something. But I want us to spend some moment. And I know every person here's got things that you could focus on the negative if you wanted to. But during this praise time, I want you to start focusing on the answer to your situation. Pray and let God show you a scripture and look beyond that thing and start looking and praising God that instead of dying, you're going to live and declare the works of the Lord and see yourself rubbing the devil's nose in it. Instead of you being poor, see that, man, God is going to do something and you're going to prosper more than you've ever prospered. Instead of your marriage falling apart, see God putting that thing back together. Start praising God for something good about your kids, about your wife. Amen? So let's just spend some time here. I want you to begin to start praising God and putting into practice what we've talked about. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you right now that things are as good as they are. Father, thank you that if worse came to worse and we didn't even see your power manifest, we would die and go to be with you. That we're going to live forever in eternity. Father, thank you that we live in this nation. And even though things may not be the way we want it to be, thank you that it's still as good as it is. Thank you for all of the godly people. Thank you for the freedom to be right here tonight in this place saying anything that we desire to say, to be talking about you, to be broadcasting over the internet and reaching people all over the world. Thank you for the technology that you've given us that, Father, we can do things that we couldn't have done in the past. Thank you for living in the most prosperous nation on the earth at the most prosperous time in the history of the earth. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God that you've given us. Thank you for all of these things. Hallelujah. Father, we praise you and we believe that whatever weapon has been formed against us is not going to prosper. But we right now with our words condemn it 
We kill those things. We say in the name of Jesus that we are the overcomer, not the overcome. That, Father, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We speak in the name of Jesus that bodies are healed, that miracles of finances, jobs, provision, vision comes. Father, we just thank you in the name of Jesus that everything is supplied according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Father, for all of your goodness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. You know, in order for you to really praise God, this isn't normal. Mere human beings are limited to the natural. But when we get born again, God himself comes and lives on the inside of us. And then he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks well. Praying in tongues forces you to get into the supernatural. Because in the natural, it just doesn't make sense to you. It's senseless. You don't understand what you're saying. And if you will continue to pray in tongues, more than just a phrase, but I mean, if you'll do it for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it forces you to start being spiritually minded. If you're carnally minded, you can't pray in tongues over a long period of time. Your mind will cause you, your, you to stop praying in tongues. When you pray in tongues, it just forces you into this realm. It says in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, it says, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Man, praying in the Holy Spirit puts you on your most holy faith. It also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 17, that when you pray in tongues, you give thanks well. You're praising God in the heavenly language. I, I don't believe it would be possible for you to do what I talked about here tonight if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I think that in the natural realm, you can't do this. You need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in you to be able to do this. So, you know, if there's any man here tonight who doesn't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need to receive that. You can't do what I'm talking about. It'll just frustrate you if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know that many of you think, well, I didn't realize you was a tongue talker. Somebody invited you to come or maybe you saw me on television and because I don't spit and scream and have a towel to wipe my head, you just didn't realize that I was one of these Pentecostals. But I do. I speak in tongues. And I'm telling you, you need it. Some of you think, well, that's not what they preach in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. But I'm telling you, it's essential. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker because you aren't going to be able to praise God. You aren't going to be able to operate in your most holy faith and you'll die of something along the way, but you can still go to heaven. But I'm telling you that if you're going to live in victory in this life, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues. And we'd like to help you to receive it. I tell you, it, this changed my life more 
than being born again as far as the outward things. Being born again is where I established my relationship with God. It granted me my salvation and eternity. But as far as outwardly, I received power when I received the Holy Spirit. It transformed my life. And man, if you need power to live the Christian life, we would love to help you. Is there anybody here who'd raise your hand and say, I'd like to receive that. Pray for me. Man, we got hands all over the place. there's others who are thinking, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray for you and give you a free book. That's all we're going to do. We hadn't got anything for you to join. We aren't going to take anything from you. We aren't going to do anything bad. We're just going to pray with you and give you a free book. So you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your chair and come forward and stand right here? We want to pray with you and help you to receive. Just come forward, brother. Just stand down there, brother. stronger than horseradish. You're going to go home and your wife is going to say, what happened to you? Really, this is life changing. It is really life changing. Outside of being born again, this is the most important thing that could happen in your life. Jesus told his disciples, you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Prior to that time, They were afraid. They wouldn't witness. They ran. They hid. After that time, they were so bold that the Pharisees took knowledge and said, they have been with Jesus. And they turned the world right side up. That's what's going to happen to you. Is there anybody else? You know, I still feel like there's somebody out there that for whatever reason you haven't come forward, you're kind of just wanting to wait and see what we do. You know, it's like I was talking about tonight. The Lord passed by, but they had to call out or he would have walked right on by. You're just wanting, you're passive, you're afraid that something might not happen. Somebody's thinking, what happens if I go up there and nothing happens? Well, I can guarantee you if you don't come up here, nothing's going to happen. You got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. And you heard these people clapping and praising God for me.
you're watching this over the internet right now, we just closed our phone center here in Colorado Springs, but we have a place right there on our website where it says how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you can go there and you can read and you can pray and you can receive it right there. Plus, you'll be able to call in to us and uh, we'll be able to get you one of these books. But, man, this is important. Before I pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you have that Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive Jesus before you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift. You have to receive the giver first. If you don't know for certain that you've been born again, then I need to lead you in a quick prayer where you just make Jesus your Lord and receive salvation. You can't receive the Holy Spirit until you receive Jesus first. And there's a lot of people that think, well, I believe that there's a God, and I'm a relatively moral person. I'm as good as this person. That's not how it works. Without Jesus, every single one of us go to hell. Nobody is accepted with God based on your own goodness. Jesus died for your sins. And it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that you have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's more than just saying those words. You have to make Jesus your Lord. That doesn't mean that you're never going to make a mistake. It doesn't mean that you're promising I'll be perfect from now on because you can't keep that. But you have to be willing to bow the knee and make Him your Lord and to the best of your ability, follow Him. You won't do it perfectly, but that has to be your commitment that Jesus, I want to live for you. I'm turning for myself. I'm turning my life over to you. There's a lot of people who go to church that have never done that, that have never made Jesus their Lord. So is there anybody up here, before we pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you need to pray first and make Jesus your Lord and receive your salvation, I want you to raise your hand and I need to pray with you. Here's one right here. Here's another one here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you got to be sure. And there's just so many people today that think, they think, well, I assume that I'm going to heaven. The Bible says that when you get born again, you know that you've passed from death unto life. You have a witness in yourself. You know. You know, if you don't know, if you're just hoping and you're basing your eternity on an assumption, but you don't have this witness in yourself, you need to pray and make sure. You need to know for sure. Anybody else? Here's another one right here. Here's another one. Anybody else? I think this was five or six. And what I'm going to do, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer real quickly. This isn't magic. It's not like if you just say these magic words, you're automatically saved. The Bible says you have to believe it. You have to mean it. But it says if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you shall be saved. So I'm just going to pray a prayer. You don't have to say the exact words, but I'm going to pray a prayer consistent with this scripture in Romans 10, 9. And if you'll repeat this after me and mean it when you pray this, then according to the word of God, you shall be saved. Isn't that good? Jesus has already paid for your forgiveness of sins. He's already died. You don't have to ask him to come die. He did it 2,000 years ago. He forgave your sins before you ever committed them. But you have to receive that forgiveness. You have to mix it with your faith and make Him your Lord. Amen? So I'd like to ask everybody in here to repeat this with me so that they won't 
feel like we're just listening to them. And as we pray this, and if you mean it, this is going to change your life. You're going to become a brand new person. Isn't that a good deal? Let's pray this. Say, Father, Father I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you've already died for my sins. That you have provided salvation for me. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. Right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You mean that? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Did you mean that, brother? Do you know what? You're a brand new person. All of you who prayed that, you still look the same on the outside. But you know what? On the inside, you're a brand new person. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what just happened. But man, that's what the Bible is all about. And I've got a book. It's got two parts to it. The first part is the new you. That's talking about salvation. The second part is the Holy Spirit. And that's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give it to you and it'll explain this. And I tell you, your life is going to transform. But now, according to the scriptures, everybody up here has prayed a similar prayer, you're already born again, and according to the Word of God, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says in a number of places. So what this means is, God created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. That was the purpose. You are the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So He would never deny giving you the Holy Spirit. That's what you were created for. Some people make it like it's hard and you got to do these things and you got to be perfect and you got to get all sin out of your life and there can't be anything wrong with you. God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. If you've got a problem in your life, you're a prime candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because He wants to fill you with His power so that you can overcome these things. So don't let some problem in your life make you feel that God won't give you the Holy Spirit. You were created for this. So I'm just going to lead you in a prayer super quick. It's simple. And all we're going to do in a sense is just open up the doors of our temple and say, Holy Spirit, we're placing a demand on you as you pass by. We want you. We welcome you in our life. And if you'll do that, God's been wanting this more than you want it. And I can promise you, He's going to come flooding into your life. It's a promise. And then I'd like to ask some of our Bible college students to come up here. Or how are we doing it? The healing school. If I could get the people that have been trained in our healing school to come up here. The reason I'm going to have them come up here is because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer and we're just going to open up our temple and welcome the Holy Spirit. But then these Bible college students are going to come and lay hands on you and release this power into your life. And I don't care what you feel like. When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel anything. I just did it because I did what the Word told me to. And regardless of how you feel, the Scripture says in Luke eleven thirteen that if you be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you got to do is ask. And so regardless of how you feel, we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. 
And then I want you to begin to thank God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what you feel like, do it because the Word says it. And just start thanking Him. At that time, after they lay hands on you, and you start thanking Him, I want you to put your hands in the air like this, because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back, and you go, I surrender. I yield. It's just your way of saying, oh God, I receive. And it honors Him. It blesses Him. So I'm going to pray for you. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands and start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues. Because when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God in this heavenly language for you having the Holy Spirit. And when we start praying in tongues, I want you to quit thanking Him in English and just go to thanking Him in tongues for giving you the Holy Spirit. Start speaking in tongues. And some of you say, well, man, I don't know how to speak in tongues. What do I do? I've got a book that's going to explain it. I'm not going to take all night here to tell you everything I know about it. But the, the most important thing, the number one thing that stopped me and that I found stopped most people, they think that the Holy Spirit's going to force you to speak in tongues. And so people will just sit there and open up their mouth and stick their tongue out and wait on the Holy Spirit to make them talk in tongues. That's not how it happens. It's very similar to the way I ministered tonight. I believe God spoke through me. I believe that this was inspired of God, but He didn't force me to say it. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out with my illustrations. I spoke. I thought of these words. It was me that talked, but it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You have to talk. Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You do the talking. You have to speak, but believe that God is inspiring it. And at first, it'll feel like, well, this is just me. But I promise you, if you'll keep doing it, I've got all of these things written in a book. You'll find out the Holy Spirit will confirm it to you that He's inspiring it, and it's really divinely inspired, and it will release tremendous power in your life. But that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. Isn't that good? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer, and I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you especially for those who just opened up their heart and received salvation and made Jesus their Lord. Thank you, Father, that they're forgiven, that they'll never die. They'll never be punished for their own sins, that they accepted Jesus as their punishment, as their Savior. Thank you that all of us now are born again, and so we just open up the doors of our temple and we welcome the Holy Spirit. We want your power. We want this gift of speaking in tongues. We want to be able to praise you in a supernatural way. And so we open up our heart and ask for it right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we lay hands on them and say, Receive the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. We loose this power and anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow into every one of these right now. Be filled with the Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, that's powerful. Now let's put those hands up. Start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. You promised if we asked, we'd receive. We've asked. I believe that we receive. We are now filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We are God-possessed. We have your power. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we have power in our life. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's just begin to worship the Lord and speak in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, I want you to speak with us right now. Quit talking in English. You can't talk in English and tongues at the same time. And just begin to start saying things that, that you don't understand. Make syllables that you don't understand. If you don't know what to say, you could try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be unique to you. It won't be the same as the other person. And once you start trying to say what they're saying and it comes out differently, just keep talking. Just keep talking. Don't worry about what it sounds like. You know, when a little baby first speaks, it doesn't sound like they're saying mama or daddy, but that parent knows what that kid is saying. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. It doesn't matter. He's listening to your heart. Just speak it out. Be bold and speak right now. Cora sitele de ne bombra indica la coro sitela bombra. Rondele a rosso ma indela hovo ora sila macuro yara. Thank you, Jesus. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. Don't shake your head no. Shake it yes, yes. Thank you, Father, for filling all of these with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit coming into their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, it looks like most of these are speaking in tongues. I think that nearly all of them. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Let me have your attention here for just a moment. You know, some of you may have just really been blessed. You may have felt something. When I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing. And also, I didn't pray in tongues immediately. It took me three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been told that this was of the devil. And I just was so afraid that something was going to come on me from the devil that... It hindered me. I had a lot of messed up thinking, but I kept after it and I finally spoke in tongues. I can speak in tongues a lot. I've spoken tongues a lot today and I've written all of this stuff in a book and I'd like to give every one of you a book. Also, this is more important than what any of you understand. I can promise you that. Even if you were really blessed tonight, this is bigger and what you understand, this is the second most important thing that will ever happen to you in your life. But to, but to get the benefits, you've got to understand what's happening and you've got to learn how to do it by faith. So I've written a book and I'd like to give it to every one of you. We've got Ashley right here. He's the one standing here in the red with his Bible up. And uh, where are you, what are you going to do, Ashley? You're going to take them where? Okay, to the first room over here. It'll only take a moment and they'll give you a book. And also, if any of you have a question... They'll uh, answer your questions and pray with you, help you any way they can. But you need to get this in order to get the full benefit. So if you would, just follow me.
You know, I'm now going to ask all of these prayer ministers to stand down here in the front. They've been through a training here in our Bible college. Ashley and his wife, Carly, and also Daniel are the ones that run our healing school. They just had a healing school today, didn't you? And I think I hadn't heard the report today, but last week they had a man who came here and he's been uh, in a wheelchair and nearly in a vegetative state for over a year. But he's been coming to healing school. He started getting feeling back and a little bit of movement and stuff. And last week, a, a week ago today, he actually got up out of his wheelchair and began to start walking. Amen. All of these things are happening through these prayer ministers. Some people get it in their mind that I'm the only one that has faith and can pray. But we've taught these people what we know. And I tell you, they are seeing awesome, awesome miracles. And by having so many prayer ministers down here, we can pray for every single one of you in here. So if you need prayer for anything, I'd like to just give you an invitation to come right now. This man that I talked to earlier about had the lung cancer, I want you to come. Let one of our prayer ministers here pray for you. These people see tremendous results. We've seen lots of miracles. But if you need a healing, please come and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. Come right now. And we've got people here that are going to kind of direct you to a person so that everybody won't line up just on one side. Let me also mention that we do have some food, some refreshments back here in our break room. And we would love to have you stay here and just fellowship. This is one of the big things that happens at this conference is people fellowshipping and getting to meet friends and you learn a lot of things. Remember, we'll be back at 7 in the morning with breakfast and our services then. And uh, so praise God. If you don't want prayer, you're welcome to leave. Remember the break room. Fellowship with people. We'll see you in the morning. And those of you that were watching by the internet, thank you for looking in. We'll be back at, uh, what is it, 8.30 in the morning. We'll start again. And we're going to have Arthur Menches down here, minister from South Africa. I'll be ministering. And we'll have uh, Daniel and uh, David Hinton minister again. So God bless you. Have a good night's rest. We're going to have an awesome day tomorrow. It'll be wonderful. Amen.